0: Okay, today we are going to pick up in Revelation chapter 10, and so what I'll do, even though we're not going to do a deep dive into all of the verses, what I'll do is read over chapter 10, Chapter ten, and then there are seven, I think it's seven, yeah, seven, seven things that we want to outline from uh, this particular chapter. So, Revelation chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and called out with a loud voice, like, an, like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth. And what is in it And the sea and what is in it That there would be no more delay But That in the days of the trumpet call To uh, to be Sounded by the seventh Angel the mystery of God Would be fulfilled Just as he announced to his servants The prophets Then the voice that I had Heard from heaven spoke to me again Saying Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land so I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll and he said to me take and eat it it will make your stomach bitter but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey and I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it it was sweet as honey in my mouth But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples, nations, and languages, and kings. May God richly bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Now, as I mentioned, there are seven things that we want to point out or look at uh, by way of an uh, overarching view of this particular chapter. The first thing is this just as there was an interlude between the sixth and the seventh seals this represents an interlude between the sixth and the seventh trumpet now this interlude the visions that are contained in it are, are found in chapter 10 all the way through chapter 11 verse 14 so that whole section is an interlude prior to the sounding of the seventh trumpet. So this is similar to the transition from the sixth to the seventh seal. The second thing to note, and I, th- one of the more interesting things about this particular interlude, is that the interlude between the sixth and the seventh seal, it just sort of gives you an overarching view of the people of God and, and worship and so forth. But this particular interlude Uh, as we can deduce from chapter 11, verse 14, and I'll read that, um, because it kind of gives a different view on this particular uh, interlude and its relation to the previous uh, trumpet. So in, in chapter 11, verse 14, it says, The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. So in other words, everything that's recorded From chapter 10 All the way through chapter 11 Verse 14 Like everything from chapter 9 Verse 13 Is part of the second woe So I think another way to put it Is um, even though uh, For instance If you go back uh, chapter 13 You have the beginning uh, Chapter 9 verse 13 You have the blowing of the sixth trumpet and, for, uh, and it tells about all of the things that will take place for those who dwell on the earth, which means the people who are not believers. And so in that period, with the blowing of that, that trumpet, that sixth trumpet, as you know, it's characterized by uh, the people who dwell on the earth uh, hearing sound uh, or unsound doctrine, heresies and false prophecies. And we are told that they um, they will not repent. So this refers to the people of the earth. So this interlude period focuses on the people of God. So it's almost as if what we have here is in the primary point of the sixth trumpet is that God would unleash Demons to promote and, pro- and proclaim false doctrine and teaching. and it will have a negative and adverse effect on, on everyone. Those who are driven by it, those who are uh, the propagate, uh, who propagate this false religion and false doctrine at some point will become even more aggressive in their proclamation of that false system. But what this interlude shows is the ministry, and the function of God's people, in the backdrop, as a backdrop to this this uh, season of false doctrine. So all these things are taking place from chapter nine all the way uh, chapter nine verse thirteen all the way through chapter eleven verse fourteen constitutes the second wall, and that becomes important, especially as we'll see next week when we see the content of, the, uh, of chapter 11, where we have the two witnesses that are slain. So this is part of the woes that God will bring on the earth. So this interlude is not so much just a reprieve from the content, but it's really showing you, um, it's like a parallel camera showing you something that's going on in, an, in another room. So in, uh, with the, the vision itself, Associated with the sixth trumpet, the main characters are the, um, the people who dwell on the earth, who do not believe in the gospel. So the interlude is showing you the ministry and function of those who do believe in the gospel as this parallel event is taking place. So I just find that kind of interesting. The third thing to note is that the emphasis in the interlude visions, as we just noted, is the prophetic function of the people of God uh, the prophetic function and the ministry of the word for the church now this unfolds along two lines one um, these visions in chapter 10 and uh, 11 or, or chapter yeah chapter 10 and verses 11 uh, chapter 11 through uh, 1 through 14 uh, provides the context for the failure to repent That's alluded to in chapter 9, verses 20 through 21. Let me just read that um, to go back to the sixth trumpet. Uh, In verse 20, it says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders uh, or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts when we talk about repentance which means to turn or to have a change of mind and then turn repentance is the result of confrontation so what has confronted these people that and what should have caused them to repent is the ministry of the word Uh, one other place that we'll mention chapter 14 we get something similar to this uh, in chapter 14, and I'll read verses 6 and, um, six and 7. Uh, then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Uh, This is, it's it's really a parallel situation. So in chapter, uh, in the sixth trumpet, the demonic influence will cause many to rise up and speak false doctrine. But as this is taking place, the ministry of the word is going forth. And we alluded to this, I think, a little bit last week, that when we embrace the gospel, we consciously embrace it and reject everything that's contrary to it. So when it talks about repentance in chapter nine, and we see in conjunction with chapter 14, where the gospel is proclaimed, now we know the, the, the gospel is not proclaimed to humans by angelic beings. And by angelic beings, what I mean is created spirits. Uh, the ministry, now in a broad sense, the word uh, that's translated as angel means messenger. So God uses created spiritual beings sometimes as messengers, but not to deliver the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is delivered by his human messengers, Uh, ministers of the gospel and collectively the church so the what we see and I think this is the point of this interlude this interlude vision shows the conflict and the tension that takes place in the, the spirit or in this season of apostasy heresy false doctrine false prophecies so the ministry of the church is to proclaim the truth of the Word of God and the word of God the context uh, the the ministry of the word of God is the context for the refusal of non-believers to repent that's one of the reasons we have to be clear and careful in our handling of the word of God that we're not just handing down things that we've heard or things that we feel we're not just preaching morality we are preaching uh not only God's law but his gospel uh even the preaching of the law is not itself enough to cause a person to repent. Because the law, if you only preach law and it exposes sin, the idea of repentance is to have a change of mind and to turn from one thing to something else. So if you only proclaim law, what men ought to do, you might bring them under conviction that they haven't done it but there's nothing for them to repent to other than themselves. In other words, they will turn from, obe- from disobedience to obedience. And if you think that constitutes repentance, that you're going to do better, then that's not good enough. What the gospel offers, and this is where law and gospel together is helpful, law proclaiming what God has required. The gospel, now once the law convicts, and a person says, wow, I haven't done that, I didn't realize I was guilty, then what the gospel does is announce what God has given in Christ. And what God has given in Christ is the obedience that he requires from us in the law. If you repent, so Christian repentance, therefore, is to turn from self to Christ, because it is only in him That you actually have the obedience of the gospel and that's what propels our desire to live according to the law of God so the context for the failure of the people of the of those who dwell on the earth to repent is the assumption that they have had both law and gospel proclaimed to them the end result of receiving the gospel is not only faith in Christ but it's the worship of the triune God and therefore the effort to walk in the light of what he's called us to. So the context for the failure to repent in chapter nine, verses 20 and 21 is the ministry of the word that is the emphasis here in the interlude visions. But not only is, does this provide the context, this faithful ministry of the word as seen both in the commissioning of John in chapter 10 and then later with the witnesses in chapter 11, is a stark or stands in stark contrast to the demonic influence of the spread of uh, of false doctrine. And until the Lord returns, that dualism will always exist. Now, it's very easy become discouraged and say, well, no one is preaching the gospel. There is no, um, everyone is, is gone after something else. There's either other religions or watered down gospel. And it becomes very easy to bemoan what is not. But understand, trust me on this. Until the Lord returns, he will have faithful witnesses and faithful proclaimers to the word of God, there will never be a time when the word is not present and proclaimed. Now, that may be different in your part of the vineyard. The the uh, numbers and the or um, and well, yeah, the numbers of, of churches and ministers who are committed to a faithful proclamation of the word of God may be greatly diminished in a particular area or a particular part of the world, but it's there. And I know I've, I've lived in large cities, and when I lived in Los Angeles, there, was, there were parts of the city, literally, there was a church almost on every corner, and sometimes, as a matter of fact, the church where I was married, uh, we had, there were two churches, or three churches on one, in one block, back to back to back. There was a Seventh-day Adventist church. Then there was our Baptist church, which used to be a Nazarene church. And then there was a Pentecostal church or Church of God in Christ. Directly across the street from our parking lot, you could see another congregational church. So there were literally within a two-block area, there were about eight churches. Now, so the multiplicity of churches does not mean that all of them had a clear grasp of the gospel. The problem is, and and we do get frustrated and say, I've gone to church after church after church, and no one is preaching the gospel. But in reality, as until the Lord returns, there will always be faithful proclaimers of the gospel of truth. There will be those who are faithful in dividing the word of God. But until the Lord returns, there will always also be a competing message. And there will be variations of error. Some will be more clearly erroneous than others. Some will be very close. As a matter of fact, the Lord says to his disciples that some of these false teachers will be so persuasive that if it were possible, they might even influence the very elect of God. So there are variations and gradations of error. but the image or the, the image that is shown here when we look at the content of the sixth trumpet and the plagues that result of it, which is primarily a false ministry of the word. In conjunction with that, the interlude visions show. God at work through the ministry of his people proclaiming truth. So with all of the variations and all of the shades of error, there will always be someone faithfully proclaiming the word of God, and God will use that to further um, call this generation to repentance through the, the ministry of the word that he's given to the church. So this faithful ministry of the word, is in stark contrast to this widespread demonic influence of false doctrine. And the false doctrine, like we said, is varied. That brings us to a fourth thing. Although the emphasis in chapter 4 is the commissioning of John as the spokesman for the word of God, and that's true, and I think there is a sense in which, and we'll look at that in a moment, but I do think there is a sense in which this is unique to John, but by extension, and in connection with the content of chapter 10, the commissioning of John parallels or portrays the prophetic function of the church collectively. So John is given the ministry of the word, and that ministry of the word, John, at that point, is just a microcosm of the function of the church. It's for this reason that Paul, in his letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy, he refers to the church as the pillar and the ground of the truth. And so John portrays that in this commissioning where he, he has been given the responsibility to declare what thus says the Lord. And that is the responsibility of the church. We are the pillar and the ground of the truth. Uh, Jesus commissions his disciples to go into all of the world and to preach and teach the gospel, teaching them to observe all things, baptizing from all the world. So we are the ones that God has commissioned, has left in this church, in this world, to proclaim the good news of the gospel the functioning, the prophetic function of the church, and this is a point of confusion for a lot of people, that when we talk about the prophetic function of the church, the immediate point of reference that most Christians have to that that category is the, the role of the prophets in Old Testament Israel, where the prophets were commissioned to go to the king and to call the king to repentance, And we hear this a lot where we are supposed to speak truth to power. Well, there is a difference. Now, granted, we do have a responsibility to call sin, sin. We have a broader understanding of how God is at work in this world. But the prophetic function of the church does not mean that we are to our nation in which we live what the prophets were to Old Testament Israel. We don't have the right to demand to go before the king and he hear us. We don't have a, a right to go before Congress and tell them what thus says the Lord. We have a responsibility to properly and clearly delineate the word of God to all that have ears to hear. But we don't need the, uh, those who are elected to, to political office, we don't need them to repent in order for us to be the people of God or in order to be a nation that's under the rule of God. So all of this idea of if, our, if a nation would turn to God, that doesn't apply to us because nations don't turn to God. Uh, people do. Individuals do. And what God does is he calls us out of every nation. So there is no one-to-one correlation uh, between us and national Israel in that regard. Remember, national Israel was a covenant kingdom. They were redeemed, and they were redeemed people from Egyptian bondage, and they were placed in the land, but they were never an end in itself. So national Israel collectively was a portrait of the coming Messiah. In that one nation, you had three anointed offices of prophet, priest, and king. So the true Israel of God is Christ, and those who are in Christ are also part of the true Israel of God. Uh, Jesus tells uh, those they were asking about when is the kingdom coming in, in uh, the Gospel of Luke, and he says the kingdom of, of God is 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 in your very midst, and he was referring to himself. So, uh, I, and I, I say that because when we talk about the prophetic function of the church in the world today, people think that 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 means we have to be to our nation what Elijah, what Ezekiel, what Daniel was to their nation. No, we speak truth, and we are to proclaim the, the law of God to bring individuals to repentance so that we can or to conviction or bring them under conviction so they could hear the gospel and receive God's grace of the gospel but there are no more christian nations our prophetic function is that we are the people that God have left left in this world to be witnesses and mouthpieces for his truth So that we can speak to our neighbors, we can minister to the nations, and proclaim to them God's law and his gospel. Uh, So in any event, um, as we said, chapter 10 emphasizes John being commissioned as a prophet, more or less, to declare what thus says the Lord. But by extension, this refers to the whole church. Here's the fifth thing, and that's the opening scene, and which is primarily the first um, first seven verses in chapter 10. The opening scene is almost, from another vantage point, it's a detailed view of the transmission process of the Word of God from Christ to the church or to John, that's really described for us in chapter 1. Here's what I mean. Let's go back to chapter 1. In chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So that's just a description of, that's just telling you the transmission process. What we see in the opening scene of chapter 10 is a detailed version of that process. So let's again look in in chapter 10, verses 1 through 7. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head and his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire and of course pillars of fire it strikes a bell for the people of God familiar with the old testament god led israel through the wilderness as a pillar of fire the the image of god's glory going before them was seen as a pillar of fire he had a little scroll in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, seven thunders sounded, and when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard from heaven saying, a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever and ever and who created heaven uh, and what is in it in the earth and what is in it and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. Now here's what's, what's interesting. In this description, some have even um, concluded that this angel, this strong angel, is a vision of Christ because of some of the descriptions here, and certainly some aspects of of the description, it does uh, bring to mind uh, visions of what we see uh, in the Old Testament concerning the Son of Man, especially in Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, and it kind of gives a description of the Son of Man. But really what's portrayed here is not so much um, Christ. It's this angel, because you'll... You'll, you'll notice that in a moment we'll, we'll see the, the, what he does, but, but really he's reflecting the, the, the glory and the majesty and the authority of the one that he's speaking for. Now if we go back to chapter 1, remember the transition uh, or the transmission of the message. God the Father speaks to God the Son who then gives that message to an angel, a mighty angel perhaps, and that angel delivers the message to John. So the, the transmission, the, the transaction of getting the message from the Father to the Son, ultimately to the church, is really what's kind of portrayed here, because this mighty angel is not himself divine, and which we'll see in, in a moment as I mentioned. The point is is this angel reflects or and resembles the glory and the majesty of the triune God that he represents so in some parts of the description one could say especially um, when he talks about his legs being like pillars of fire uh, the pillars of fire in the Old Testament most would recognize as an emanation of the glory of of God or uh, Christ, a manifestation of Christ. So that could be a portrayal of Christ and then the rainbow around his shoulders. He is simply reflecting, not his own authority, but he is reflecting the majesty, the glory, and the authority of the triune God who has entrusted to him the word that is to go to the servant and the servants of God, which brings us to the sixth thing, and that is before the tr- before transferring the scroll and the scroll that's in the hand of the angel, the scroll that's in the hand of the angel, I would surmise to be the same message that's contained in the seven scrolls. That only the Lamb of God is able to open and that itself is the message that the father gave to the son and the son now gives to the angel so before transferring that message to John notice in verses 5 and 6 what it says about the angel it says and then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and everything that's in it, and the earth and everything that's in it and the sea that's everything and everything that's in it. In essence, what the angel is doing is swearing an oath of office or an, an oath, an oath, to deliver exactly as he has received to the one that he's commissioned to give it to. So when when John receives the scroll from the hands of the angel in this vision, it is equivalent to him receiving the scroll from the very hand of Christ, which is the, the whole point of, of uh, this, this vision. Uh, in the, so in the introductory scene, we see this mighty angel But he is not divine. He is is a servant of Christ. But he represents the full weight of divine authority. And his responsibility is to proclaim everything that the Son has given to him to announce to the church. That brings us to the final thing, and that's John's reception of the scroll. And to understand the imagery that's used here, I want to read Ezekiel chapter two. In Ezekiel chapter two, this is Ezekiel's call to deliver the word of the Lord to uh, to the nation of Israel. And he said to me, "Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you." And he said, and he spoke to me. The spirit entered in me, into me. And set me on my feet, and I heard from uh, and I heard him speaking to me, and he said to me, "Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to a nation of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also, their descendants are also impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them." Thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Uh, though, uh, Though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions, Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me. And behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me. And it had writing on the front and on the back. And there were written on it words of lamentation and woe. Now, in John's commissioning, in verse 8, beginning in verse 8, it says, Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples, nations, and languages, and kings. John is a microcosm of the church who has received not only who have not only been entrusted with the Word of God, but has been commissioned to declare the Word of God. The Word of God is what calls men and women out of darkness, out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light. It is when the word of God is properly handled, properly proclaimed, that those who are the dwellers of the world should be brought under conviction. And if they would repent, it is because they have turned from self to the message of the gospel proclaimed by the church. We are not only to denounce evil, but evil as it is a violation of God's law. We're not just against things. We are declaring what thus says the Lord, the declaration, clear declaration of the law of God, with the only solution being the gospel of God's grace. So here's the the dualistic picture that should be um, should be understood in this age in which the Lord allows demons to deceive and delude, where false doctrines, false messages populate, and it really is popular. Uh, like I said, various degrees, all from all the way from the sublime to the ridiculous. But there are false messages out there. And juxtaposed to the, the the plethora of false doctrines God has his church the church that Christ says he would never uh, depart from that he would never leave or forsake the church upon which Christ says uh, or the rock upon which Christ builds his church is the foundation of the word that has been entrusted to Christ and now entrusted to the people of God what we'll see next week is another dimension of the ministry of the Word of God in a world that's under a curse by its creator so that they would not only reject the truth, but we will see even be violent against it. That's all the time we have for today. So again, um, I hope that our, our time of study has been fruitful for you. And as I consider the things that are going on in the world, man, God's word is so timely, it's, it's never late, it's, it's always current and contemporary as we understand that God is sovereign over all things and what he has declared is the truth that we are to cling to and that's what enables us to understand the world and uh, everything that's going on within it. Uh, pray for our church. We again thank you for your continued support. Uh, Those who are friends uh, and not necessarily members of the church, we continue to invite you to listen to us on these Wednesday Bible studies as well as our streamings, uh, the streaming of our worship services on Sunday. Uh, We again thank you for joining and we will pick up with Chapter 11 on next week. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we come to you in the blessed name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we do thank you for the reminder that what we have until you return is what you have declared in your word. And you have commissioned us to not only embrace it, but you've commissioned us to deliver it. And so we pray that we would be faithful and and, and be very clear in the proclamation of your word. We know that we speak on your behalf as you have empowered us to do so. And so therefore, we lift every church where the gospel is clearly and properly preached. We pray for those who labor in the word, and we thank you for those who have been faithful in declaring your word in a world that is so resistant and rebellious against your word. We pray that your people would continue to be built up in your truth so that we would have the ability to discern what is not true and that we would consciously reject it thank you most of all for the substance and center of your word which is your son who meets the righteousness that you have required in your law and in the gospel he gives it to those who look to them by to him by faith thank you for your indwelling spirit and we pray these things in Christ's name amen